Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hey everyone, Leonard Kim here with another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Today we have Michael Wilson on the line with us. Uh, Michael uh, has a background in training horses and he's been doing it for a while. And He used to live out here in California and now he's working over in Kentucky and getting ready for the Kentucky Derby. But before we get into anything, uh, Michael, do you want to take a moment to kind of introduce yourself, tell people about your background and let people know who you are? Yeah, absolutely, Leonard. So first of all, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Really appreciate it. Um, my background is I'm from Northern California, Davis. Um, my dad was the director of the UC Davis Festival, and I kind of got into horses when I was 18 with always the plan on being in the thoroughbred racing industry. And I kind of came up on the circuits of Southern California at tracks like Santa Anita and Del Mar under a couple of well-noted trainers, guys might understand, like Bob Baffert and Doug O'Neill and some guys out there. Um, spent time internationally with Sheikh Mohammed in England, Ireland, and Dubai and Australia. And then started on my own in New York. And then now I have a business that does uh, thoroughbred racehorse management and advising in Kentucky. Awesome. So with a Doro background like that, doing this since you were about 18 years old, you put no horses, jockeys, and like the industry, like the back of your head. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, it's kind of fun. A lot of the work I get to do is is with uh, new owners and even owners that have been in the game a long time. But you know, I, the, there's a huge learning curve as you'd have in any sport, right? So it's kind of fun being in it for 18 years. I think somebody wanted me to put it in Malcolm Gladwell hours the other day, and I said, well. I've got 28,000 hours in the business, so I kind of have almost mastery almost three times over now, I guess. Yeah, I can feel that. Like, a lot of people are like, uh, Leonard, uh, why don't you go out there and do, like, more marketing work? I'm like, um, already hit that point. <laughs> uh, don't really need to do extra hours to put in the work. Like, um, it was interesting. I went to a conference up in Banff, and um, the... Uh, head of uh, global ads over at TikTok was like, did you learn anything from the conference? I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> and, you know, when you kind of get to that point where you become like an expert at something, there's not really m many things that you can really learn. I mean, you can see things that are interesting and things that are unique, but it's not really learning at that point. No, I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, when you get to that level, it's identifying new trends or, or emerging in opportunities that, might be a little bit uh, unseen by others because you're just a little bit ahead of the curve. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. And I think when you kind of get to that stage, like um, there's lots of things that become trends. There's lots of things that become fads. And there's a lot of things that are like true and tested methods. And at that point, you want to choose which lane you kind of stick in because it's like, okay, I could go fat hopping, but then is my um, hours of operation for work going to increase tenfold? Is my profit going to increase tenfold too? Probably not. It's probably going to stay the same as if I stuck to the tried and true methods. And if it did increase, it might be like by maybe 
fifty percent, and is that fifty percent really worth that ten times more work? Yeah, I mean, as as you point out, right? Because you have to learn the whole new, you know, the whole new uh, area that's developing and fad or trend, right? And it just takes more time to put into that than just sticking and keeping your nose to the grindstone, right? Uh, and uh, from like a marketing standpoint, like for example, a lot of people are watching TikTok nowadays. But do does someone who's over thirty five years old really want to sit in front of a camera and dance? Like, do they really want to do that, or are they doing it just because they know they absolutely have to to gain traction on the platform? <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, at the end of the day, I think, you know, I, I spend some time doing marketing and media as well. And I, a lot of it comes down to authenticity. Right? And I think a lot of people can see through situations that are a little bit inauthentic. So I think it, maybe you'll agree, maybe you'll disagree, but kind of sticking to your brand and your brand voice um, really kind of helps you remain you and survive those uh, trends and fads. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, if I was 20 years old today, I would be dancing in front of a camera and being like, this is the way to do marketing. Yeah, this is fun. But I don't know, like in my late 30s, uh, like I'll dance in the club because I'm trying to attract someone else, but I don't see myself dancing on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, I hear you. So uh, the Kentucky Derby is about to come up. Uh, that's going to be extremely fun. Uh, actually, did it start today or is it starting tomorrow? So the Kentucky Derby will be next Saturday. Um, awesome. A lot of the contenders, there are some that are currently at Churchill Downs in Kentucky preparing. There are others that are arriving here over the next couple of days. Um, but a lot of it, the Kentucky Derby is the first Saturday in May every year. Um, so whenever that falls, sometimes it's, you know, May 1st, May 2nd, but this year it's going to be obviously on May 7th. Uh, so yeah, next week. So things are kind of, it's kind of fun at this time. All the hard work is done and then you just kind of bite your nails and wait until, uh, it's the big day. Awesome. Uh, so are you, are you pretty much prepped up and ready to go and have everything all set for it? Yeah, I think for us, I mean, we don't have a horse that's in the derby this year that we've worked with i think we've got we've got connections that have horses in the derby so it's kind of fun just to watch them and and see them on the big stage this year but at least as far as what we're doing we just kind of get to enjoy it from a spectator seat this year so it should be a a lot of enjoyment on our end like in the NFL, like anyone could go to the Super Bowl like we've seen last year. We had a team that – it was this year actually uh, – where we had a team that um, no one thought would have ever made it making it. Uh, do you think that's kind of the same with like the Derby? Yeah, no. Every year you get horses. I mean uh, kind of our industry how it functions is I think a lot of people think that it's very much a, a rich man's sport. And, you know, it, it does cost money to play in this game, but – Every now and again, you'll get an outside horse that might have been underlooked or undervalued kind of as we go through what we would consider our drafting process in racing. We go to auctions and sales and try and look at these young horses and decide which ones have the potential to maybe make the big dance. And so, you know, this year there's a horse actually that's quite interesting. His name's White Barrio. He's probably the second or third choice for the Kentucky Derby, and he was 
he was bought for $40,000 so initially. So he's a horse that's kind of really is excelling because of mental toughness more so than maybe physical attributes, which is a huge piece when you get in any sport. Um, a lot of it, you have to have some physical talent, but if you're a hard-nosed worker and, and have a lot of mental toughness, you can overcome a lot of your physical uh, deficits. So I think that's an interesting point. Like when you kind of look at animals, like uh, they carry a lot of the same traits as humans. Like uh, when I used to have my dog, Rue, Rue would come up to sit on my chest and like lick my face. And then I'll be in another dog and they'll, they'll like growl at me. And one will like run around with tons of energy. And when, when you kind of look at horses, like what are some of like the key traits that you look for when you're like, oh, this is going to definitely be a racehorse? A lot of it comes down to, I mean, the first step in selection of racehorse processes, I mean, we start looking at these horses even when they're, you know, four or five months old at sale. So some horses go through the ring when they're weanlings, meaning that they're, they've just been weaned from their mother, so they're young. Other times we look at them when they're a year old, so they're yearlings. Um, and then we look at them when they're two-year-olds. Two year olds. Uh, the Kentucky Derbies run with three-year-old colts, and fillies every now and again will run in that race as well. Uh, you know, boys and females. Um, and so when we're looking at them, trying to assess them when they're young, it's it's exactly like going to like an NFL combine, right? So you're, you're first looking for physical ability um, in terms of efficiency of movement and how they use themselves. You're also mm-hmm. then looking for how they, how they conduct and carry themselves. Um, so, Nervous horses, if they're nervous in a non-racing environment, might be nervous in a racing environment. And that's something, that's a trait that could work against them a little bit. So you're looking for horses, and once you're trained long enough to do it, you can pick out confidence pretty quickly in an animal. Um, And so that is a big trait along with athleticism that we look at at a young age. Nice. And um, I, I assume same with like football, uh, you have athletes kind of going out there and practicing uh, and working with coaches and trainers to kind of get better and improve their craft and being associated with other uh, players. It's kind of the same in the world of horses. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you've got, so every horse is trained by a trainer. Um, there are certain trainers who are, you know, just like any coach in any business, you've got some trainers who are elite and they, you know, they get the best caliber of horse every year. You could more liken it probably to instead of professional sports, probably college sports, right? So when you're recruiting mm-hmm. a draft class, a lot of your top basketball players would probably go to, to UK or Duke or North Carolina and a couple other schools. Um, and then you've got your next draft class. So some of these trainers, when you look at them on paper, might not look as good as the other guys, but they might not be getting as good a caliber of horse as the other guy to prove what they can do. So a lot of it comes down to helping that horse develop its physical attributes and traits to help them excel. And at the same time as a trainer and a horseman, you're looking at them in a way of, well, what is this athlete meant to do? And not all of them are meant to run the Kentucky Derby distance. Some want to be sprinters. Some want to run at a mile. Some want to run at a mile and a quarter. Some want to go a mile and a half. And so 
Within that, you're trying to figure out how to make them the best they can at those specific distances. And then you're also trying to figure out with their personality how you work with them to help them excel. And I'll try to make this a little less long-winded, but when you're looking at uh, certain athletes, any type of athlete, right? There's certain ones. And, and when I was an athlete myself, I needed a coach that yelled at me a little bit to motivate me. Um, there's others that if you yell at them, they're, they're going to go the opposite way on you. So you got to build their confidence in a different way. So not that we yell at racehorses, um, but part of it is, does this horse like it when you push him in training or does he excel when you give him a little bit more of letting him what he wants to do? And so it's, it's a balance between the personality of the horse, what they're physically meant to do, and then you just work with that to create them to be the best that they can in each category. Awesome. And the assumption is when you kind of look at the uh, horse in general, you have the horse as one component, you have the trainer as one component, and I would assume the jockey would be the third component that ties the experience together. Absolutely. So um, each jockey excels at what they're good at. I mean, they're like race car drivers. Um, they're, they're good at certain attributes. Some are really well-rounded and can handle anything. Um, but that's the last piece of the puzzle. And you're 100% correct there, Leonard. You're trying to say, well, my horse likes to come from behind. And so I want a rider who that's one of his strengths and who is able to judge pace of a race and still understand that we need to have a strong enough pace to close into and then position the horse accordingly. So a lot of times jockeys are specifically picked, especially at the Kentucky Derby level, um, to fit what that horse also needs. So um, a question. If someone's in the – or if a horse is uh, doing, let's say, Santa Anita, going to Del Mar and other places like that, uh, and then uh, they're in the Kentucky Derby, do they usually ride with the same jockey all the way through, or do they switch around a few times? Sometimes you'll try your best to keep the same jockey on them. Sometimes you'll uh, have to switch things up a little bit. It's, sometimes it's due to availability of riders, so – California obviously has a lot of great riders on the, on the California circuit. Some of those jockeys will stay with those horses and go to the Kentucky Derby. Um, there will be others that basically, if you think about it, jockeys are trying to select what they think is going to be their best chance to win on the day. So some of these elite jockeys who are at the Kentucky Derby level, you know, say, obviously on a Southern California circuit, like a Doug O'Neill or a Bob Baffert, they know who are the best horses in those barns and they might ride two or three of them. So come Derby day, they might elect to ride one and then you have to switch and find a different jockey for your second best horse. But you try to create as much continuity as possible um, with who you're selecting to ride. That makes a lot of sense. Well, it's about time for us to hop off to a commercial break. Where can people find you on? Yeah, so they can find me online. My website is www.raceforza.com. And then my handles on social media are just at Michael S.R. Wilson. Awesome. And you can find me at Mr. Larry Kim on Twitter. And we'll be back after this commercial break.
Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. If you feel stuck, exhausted, or just unsure of how to handle everything at once that life is throwing your way, you'll want to listen to What's Important Now, Making Time for What Matters Most with Eva Medelec. Eva and her guests will help you learn to focus on the most important priorities in your life so you can handle them one at a time instead of being constantly overwhelmed. What's important now? Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Want to improve your health, business, and life just by listening to a radio show? Well, we can at least move you in the right direction. Listen for Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Each week, Allison will speak with amazing guests and find out what's changed their lives and how they are changing the lives of others. From beauty to health to business and personal relationships, we're here to inspire you to live your life of passion. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers channel we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel this is grow your influence tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim uh, here with Grow Your Influence Tree. Welcome back. We have our guest, Michael Wilson, uh, who's been um, thoroughly embedded into the horse industry for so long. Uh, we've been talking a lot about how um, horses are much like athletes uh, in the racing world, uh, much about how much uh, effort and time is really put into the uh, training of a horse and whatnot. And also, we've talked about uh, the jockey side and how they're much like the NASCAR drivers of these horses. Um, now, in our next segment, uh, when we kind of look at horse, horse racing all together, it's a sport that attracts a lot of people from all across the world uh, to kind of go and join in to watch these. And um, I, I know it's uh, really big for uh, ages like 40 and over, but um, for the uh, audience that's under 40, it, it's like slowly emerging and it's kind of growing a little bit, but it's... Uh, doesn't have as much traction as it did with the the generation before uh, people my age and as we see that um a lot of people who are into sports nowadays and 
my age range, uh, what they like to tend to do is like do sports betting and things like that with like the NFL, NBA, and so forth. And one of my assumptions is that when it comes to horse racing, maybe they're not knowledgeable enough about it. Maybe they're not um, well versed in what to do in regards to like picking horses because there's a uh, more than just the athlete at play and they don't really understand it. Uh, when you kind of look at uh, the betting side of things, uh, would you say that the most optimal way to look at how to make a solid bet would be to look at like three different areas of the trainer, the horse, and the jockey? Or would you say there's a different way to go about it? Yeah, I think that I think what makes our sport a little bit more difficult, and then obviously you, you hit a very solid nail on the head, is we've we've done a very poor job as an industry understanding how to market outside of the sport. Uh, horse racing has literally uh, carried off the backs of major networks for a long time, and hope that that would help us penetrate different markets versus understanding that as an industry we have to do our part to do that. And then moving over to what you're talking about, sports betting, most of our information within our business is paywalled, which is why it's difficult to learn about it versus if you look at the NBA or NFL, you can watch games. Yes, you might have to pay for streaming, but there's other things that you can get your hands on to at least learn the aspects of that game to help you understand it a little bit. Um, for us, yeah, you know, you can start with, is the trainer winning races? What's his win percentage? How's this horse currently doing? Running at the distance that he's running at, at that distance in the past. And then how's that jockey currently doing? Um, but there's a lot of other intricacies in our sport that tend to make it a little bit more complicated unless somebody has the time to investigate a little bit more well-versed in it. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think those are three main things that people could at least start with. I see. Cool. So, like, let, let's say you really wanted to, like, dive deep and be like, oh, yeah, this is something I really want to get into, something I really want to get to know, and it's something I want to really become passionate about. And, like, for for example, when when I went to Santa Anita, uh, I'm sitting with, like, the host, and he's like, oh, yeah, you should bet here, you should bet here, you should bet here. And the first time I go, I'm like, oh, I'm not betting on anything because I have no idea oh, how this industry works. Then um, after he calls, like, almost every single um, race, I'm like, yeah. Mark. <laughs> I should have bet. So the next time around, like, I'm like, I'm betting on everything he tells me to do. And I'm like, uh, and I, I have like an 80% like win rate. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Um, and, you, you know, as someone who's working with like ABR or something like that, you're probably around the industry so much where it becomes quite intuitive like that. Um, I could see a lot of people out there wanting to uh, get to that level, but like, uh, having the basics of where to start is cool, but like, what do you think kind of gets you to that level where you're able to like call things like that? I think a lot of it comes down to is, I mean, the first step is understanding how to read the racing form, which um, there aren't too many guides out there on the internet. So it's, it's almost like reading, you know, Braille for the first time. If you haven't been taught how to read Braille, you won't know how to read Braille. So it's the same thing with ours. I, I went and the other day 
Um, I had a friend who brought some friends. They're like, who should I bet on? And I said, bet the trifecta in this race, this horse, this horse, this horse. And it hit at Keeneland. And they're like, how'd you pick that? And I'm like, well, let me show you a couple different things. Um, I think the daily racing form does have some literature on how to read the racing form. Um, mm-hmm. And then once you understand the numbers and figures, whether it's the daily racing form or Equibase, that at least gives you a solid foundation to understand race by race what you're looking at. And that's really the first piece. And then as you continue down that path, you'll then pick up more and more and more. We're starting to, we've, we're building out a YouTube show called Unfiltered um, with a racing media company called Pass the Wire TV, basically helping educate newcomers to the game and then also owners in, that are wa- becoming new to the industry because mm-hmm. as you'll find, if you Google things on racing, there's not a whole lot of information out there. Um, and so we're wanting to try and fill that gap. So people who want to get involved in the sport have easy access to material that is easily digestible for them to help understand the sport a little bit better. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So one of my clients, um, he specializes in day trading, which um, a lot of the general public would consider risky because it involves the stock market. And one of the pieces of content that we did with him was um, how to read the brokerage statement because a lot of people don't actually know how to read one. And in that, uh, like this guy has like um, $10 million in like verified trades. So we, we have like a statement where he made like a billion dollars that month. And while explaining how to do read it at the same time, the person who's looking it over is like, oh, this is a billion dollars. And this is only for one month period of time. So it like kind of showcases both sides of the situation where people are like, oh, you could actually really make money doing this stuff. And it, uh, with the right um, risk tolerance set up, you could, uh, it's not seen as much as gambling as the normal consumer might think it is. Yeah. Yeah, and I think our industry is very much the same as once you have a handle on it. I mean, at least from the, the gambling side of it, there is there isn't a ton of risk. I mean, there's still you know the horse might break from the gate slower than it normally does, or there's minor variables that can change that. But once you hone things down, and and as I mentioned on that show, unfiltered, the guy who uh, is my co-host is a professional handicapper. So he literally makes his living gambling um, nice. and has done it for years. So, you know, he, he's, he has other things on his uh, website, Pass the Wire, and other YouTube videos on Pass the Wire TV on YouTube that delve into how to handicap. But there are people out there that literally it's almost like a professional poker player um, that they make their living gambling because they figured out the business so well. Yeah, a long time ago, one of my friends, um, I think he was working with the trainer or something, and uh, he just went, uh, met all the horses, went in the back and everything, and he's like, yeah, this guy's going to win. And like, my friend had a really profitable day that day when he went to the races. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, I mean, there's guys, there's guys that'll pull 20 grand in a day. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Like what what um, once you kind of know the industry, what uh, could really 
uh, happen on the uh, betting side. And I think a lot of people like my age and younger don't really understand that that's something that's possible because it's just not fully understood at the uh, uh, athlete level, you know? Well, what's what's interesting, and this is a kind of funny story, is I, as I said, it, it's mainly our fault as an industry not marketing to the younger generation or understanding how to reach them. Because I am as well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 37 here in a week, so I'm on the upper end of the 30 spectrum. But I was at uh, lived in Monrovia, and I went to Trader Joe's one day, and somebody said, "What are you buying all this uh, carrots for?" And I said, I'm buying them for my horses. They said, well, where do you keep your horse? I said, no, these are for my racehorses. They said, racehorses? Where do you race horses? I said, three blocks that way, Santa Anita Racetrack. They said, there's a racetrack here? I said, yeah, there's a racetrack three blocks away. So understanding that somebody that lives three blocks from the racetrack doesn't even know that it's there is, again, probably our fault as an industry not helping people understand that where to find us. Yeah, and the other side of it is if you're Asian and you go to the racetrack, you're like, yeah, that's where I ate food for a night market. <laughs> like, like you're not yeah. like, oh, that's a racetrack. <laughs> like it doesn't click for yeah. people. No, I, people go to concerts and, and you know, they I know they have that, I forget what it's called, the night market that's there every now and again. But, you know, I think people don't realize what's there because it's after the races. Yeah, and um, I don't know. I mean, once you once you see the sport for the first time, it's very easy to kind of uh, like feel a sense of love and uh, passion towards the sport. But I mean, as of right now, like it, it I, I suppose the uh, industry does need a lot of marketing geared towards a, a younger audience. Yeah, I think a lot of it's about just once you said it, right? And it's interesting because I've introduced several new people to the industry recently. And and one is a guy who was a former host on NBC, and he came uh, to the racetrack. And I said, I was in Miami, just happened to be in Miami. And I said, look, just come out. We're doing something called a, a two-year-old breeze show. It's a sale where we, we look at these horses. It's just like the draft combine. He spent four hours with me. He said, if other people knew how amazing and intricate this sport is. He says, this thing would be one of the most interesting sports in the country. And I think a lot of it is just helping people. You know, I, I was never a formula one racing fan until I watched drive to survive. And while I was uh, being entertained, I was learning. And I think a lot of that is, and, and we're discussing doing some more media things in racing to where we create content that, a helps provide a phenomenal experience for people and B helps them learn at the same time. Yeah. There's another show on uh, Netflix. Uh, it's got Bubba Wallace and it's a NASCAR show. And I, I like, I don't watch NASCAR and I'm like, wow, they made it look so fun and entertaining. <laughs> yeah. That was a great one. That was race, right? The one on Bubba yeah, Wallace NASCAR. Yeah, I, I think I think the um, end of the first series they kind of did him a little dirty though because like they're talking about how he wants to win so much through the entire series. Then the race he does win, they do like a five ten second highlight of it as opposed to really focusing on that race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I yeah. agree with you. I agree, but it's interesting because I I you know personally 
I had never grew up watching car racing, you know, and so to see that and see how dedicated these drivers are to their craft. And I think anybody can appreciate that at any time when you see the amount of, you know, work that goes into something um, that you just grow an appreciation for. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, from my understanding, like a lot of uh, women, um, they're quite passionate about animals, men too, but um, women tend to have like a fondness towards them. And if I were to try something on the marketing end, maybe I would be like at a ranch and like going up and talking to and touching a few animals and petting them. And then like slowly doing like an intro where you kind of get to like do the meet and greet with the horses and then maybe do something where it's like beat the horse in person and then like leave the racing element out of it to attract the woman to want to meet the horse and see if that trickles them into wanting to potentially see racing as a whole. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a phenomenal idea. I mean, as you said it, right, we tend to, there's, I think there's more of a, I, a lot of people connect emotionally to horses. And I think that's something we need to improve a little bit as an industry is the first time you touch a horse or you feed them a carrot or an apple or a peppermint, and you get to kind of enjoy their presence. It's something that's very captivating and, and working on creating experiences, as you said, right, creating a commercial where people can understand that connection because we can all watch the dodo and see an awesome, you know, cute video on a puppy and want to adopt it tomorrow. Um, and creating content, as you're saying, in that similar vein uh, could be hugely powerful. Yeah, like uh, maybe about a month ago, I was driving around L.A., um, like around uh, La Brea and uh, Melrose, and I took a ride on Melrose uh, heading west, so kind of in the West Hollywood area. I saw a few of the LAPD officers, and they were all mounted on horses. I'm like, wow, this is so magical. And it's like, you know, the, the, uh, not many people in the world like police officers. So having a moment where people are saying, wow, that's magical, and associating it with a police officer is quite rare. So just having that horse element in this scenario could really uh, change how things are viewed. Yeah, no, I, 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 I would agree with you. I mean, you're, you're preaching to the converted, right? I love horses. So anything, whether it's police officers on them or, or what have you, I mean, obviously as a, as a species, um, we tended to use horses a lot earlier on, uh, in kind of, human development and now we've got a horsepower and an engine but uh you know the way that most of us used to get around was on horses so i think it's almost an innate connection that is kind of long lost just because they're not as readily accessible to people as they once were yeah i can definitely see that um one of the interesting things is uh i don't know it was like 2014 i was dating this girl and um she lived in uh, el monte and um, it was it was a nice part of El Monte. And on the way to her place, there would be like a house that had like peacocks all over the front yard, like ten of them, which was kind of unusual <laughs> considering LA. And then um, right on her street, there was actually a horse crossing where it was like the neatest thing in the world. Like horses would just cross right in front of her house. Yeah, no, it's interesting. El Monte has kind of like a hidden. Uh, horse 
population. And there's a couple of places in Los Angeles that do as well. I mean, there's, um, there's a cool group and they had them out the Santa Anita before called the Compton Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And basically they're really working to inspire black horsemanship in Los Angeles. And there are, I believe they keep their horses, whether in Compton or near Compton. Cause I think a lot of zoning in LA still allows for horses to be in residential neighborhoods. So it's very interesting where you'll see these pockets of, of horses where you would have never expected them before. But, you know, for people who want to see something awesome, I mean, check out Compton Cowboys. I think they're on Instagram and a couple other spots. Awesome. Well, everyone, check out Compton Cowboys. It's about time for us to go hop off to another commercial break. Uh, where can people find you again online? Yeah, so my website is www.raceforza.com, and then my handle would be at Michael S.R. Wilson, and that's on uh, synonymous throughout social media. Cool, and you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter, and we'll be back after this commercial break. America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel, featuring nationally recognized, best selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America influencers channel you have a message you want to share that message you want it to be social to go viral and spread across the planet but how do you get started tune into amplify featuring host ken roshan this show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful but have a positive impact on the world Tune in live Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel and get amplified. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business and the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The soul of enterprise is heard live every Friday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Influencers Channel with the replay on Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Change starts here. Change starts now. 
Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey everyone, Leonard Kim here with Michael Wilson. Uh, we've been uh, discussing a lot about the different intricacies that kind of go into uh, sports betting and uh, more in the topic of um, horses in general and some potential different things that could benefit the world of mar- uh, horses and marketing, especially due to the low exposure that people have to it, even when they're living in the neighborhood where horse tracks are and uh a lot of people being unaware of like what's right there in their own neighborhood. Um, anyways, um, is there anything in particular you wanted to talk to in this segment, uh, Michael? Uh, no, I, I'm just happy to follow your lead and and see where those conversations go. I think we've covered a lot of ground, so I'm I'm open to anything. Cool. So I mean, the Derby's about to come up. Um, with your experience, um, do you have any uh, horses that you think are going to uh, go out and be in the forefront or jockeys that you have your eye on? Yeah, no, I think there's quite a few that might be might be surprises. Um, right now, the favorite is a horse called Epicenter. He's a very nice horse. He's been really impressive in his last couple starts. There's a couple horses recently that have started developing at the right time of year, right? So I think we could all look back and say when the Warriors won their, what, the, the 73 game win season or 74 and they fell a little short in the playoffs, um, you know, this epicenter could potentially be the same and it might be somebody who's just kind of developing at the right time that, that potentially wins it. So there's a horse that won the Santa Anita Derby uh, last out called Taiba who is a relatively inexperienced horse. He won that family, the Derby off just his second uh, career race. And so he should from an, yeah, yeah. Which is pretty impressive. So from an experienced point of view, he should probably take a big step forward um, and be in the mix. And there's another horse called charge it who ran second in the Florida Derby on just his third race. Uh, So these are two horses that, from an experience and talent point of view, are probably just going to continue to improve. So they'd definitely be horses to look out for, and they'll probably be at higher wagering odds. Um, so I like those two horses quite a bit. And then there's a horse called Zandon, who will probably be the second favorite, who had an impressive race last out. Has kind of encountered a lot of um, difficult situations in his racing career and has overcome a lot of adversity to probably get where he is. So, I think those are kind of the outside horses that I think are really going to make a big impression. Um, I was just speaking with the trainer of a horse called White Abario who won the Florida Derby. And mm-hmm. he says the horse is doing phenomenal, really likes how everybody is doing um, and how he's coming into the Kentucky Derby. So that horse will be shipping up to Churchill Downs next week. And as far as everything is concerned, he uh, has all cylinders firing at the moment. Awesome. Oh, I I know something that we should probably address. Like a lot of people who are unfamiliar with like the horse industry have like this new assumption because of like uh, ASPCA and so forth that um, 
horse training, horse racing is like immoral or hurtful to the horses. But you're a trainer. I mean, you don't see it that way, do you? No. So I think obviously there was a rash of injuries at Santa Anita several years ago, which made a lot of headlines. And a Mm -hmm. lot of that, I think, caused us pause in the racing business to really take a look at the surfaces that we have these horses perform on. And we've made massive improvements. So if you think about it with like the NFL, when they had all the concussion issues and they said, well, we'll make better helmets and they'll do better situations behind that. A lot of these horses, if you were to turn them out in the field, they would race each other around paddocks. So it's, it's what they enjoy doing in a large sense. There are, I'm I'm not going to lie. There are horses that don't like to race. And those horses are typically horses that don't win. And so when they don't win, usually they get adopted out uh, to become show jumping horses or have a different discipline. But a lot of these horses at the higher end really enjoy what they're doing and are taken care of quite well. Um, As an industry, we we understand now, and and we tend to be as a business and an industry maybe 10 to 15 years behind other professional sports. And so we've now very much taken as an overall industry, a, a very good look at how we can make the overall sport safer and make it better for horses and continue to move that forward uh, to prevent injuries from happening and, and making it an overall safer sport in general. Yeah, I think I think a lot of that should be uh, like addressed in like marketing as well, because a lot of people adopt that stigma, stigma, even if they heard it like five, 10 years ago, like a lot of people might go, but that is a cruel sport or something like that. But I mean, in your in your uh, what you've said, it's obviously not. And also when you kind of compare like what really happens on like Instagram and so forth, you'll see a horse running around in the field uh, doing its own thing. So you can really tell with like um, social media and whatnot that a lot of these horses are really just um, doing what they naturally do. And it's like in their blood and their DNA to do that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of horses, I mean, if you think of dogs too, right? You have certain breeds of dogs that, you know, I've got a, uh, Norwegian elk hound husky mix and her favorite thing to do is pull right she was bred to pull sleds I had never mm-hmm. taught her to pull but she will pull me on walks all day long or if I uh, if I have her do something I mean there's certain traits that these animals either have naturally or have been bred in over time and it's it's what they want to do but horses evolved as animals on the plains and on on grasslands and they naturally, mm-hmm move over long distances a day and they run and that's just part of what they do. So thoroughbred racehorses over time have been bred to be competitive and they will run around fields just because they love the ability to run. And at the same time, they like to compete with one another because it's just kind of how they've been bred over the years. Yeah. And I mean, even if you're like on Instagram and you're watching a horse in its natural habitat and like, let's say, um, Iceland, for example, you'll see it prancing around, running around, and just doing its own thing with other horses. So you can tell that from its natural environment, it's just uh, doing what it does, you know? And that's yeah, we just Yeah, I mean, kind of in racing, we just put a, a small guy on their back. And that's really, yeah. you know, it's funny. Somebody asked me 
the other day, and, and it was a, a newcomer to the sport, and they said, I've noticed every now and again a horse will get loose without the jockey, and that horse always seems to win. I said, well, yeah, he's carrying a little less weight. You know, these jockeys weigh about 110 pounds, and the horses weigh about 1,200 pounds. Um, you know, so it's a 10% increase in body weight, but uh, I said they, they want to compete with one another. Rarely do you see a horse that gets loose on a racetrack in one of the bigger races, not try and win the race on his own. So it's a lot of it is kind of herd mentality of, of if they live in herds, obviously as natural units uh, when they're in wild circumstances and how you figure out pecking order is through a variety of things. But part of it is horses just like the, it's like if you went on a run with your buddy, uh, you can't tell me every now and again that you want to see if you can outrun him for a little bit. So it's it's same for these horses. It's similar. Yeah, I can definitely see that, and um, I think it makes it a lot more interesting because I, I mean the horses they're doing what they love to do, and it just makes it a lot more passionate, a lot more fun to see um, horses doing absolutely what they love to do. Yeah, I think once you get to know these horses and you see horse behavior, uh, you will understand that. Um, a lot of it, once you read personality with them, they really get a kick out of winning races. And you'll see them kind of, their confidence puffs up a little bit after they have one. Um, they'll walk around like they're the man for, for quite some time just off of that. So there's a lot of it that comes into play that they do enjoy what they're doing. And when they win, they'll sulk when, they're, when they lose, too. Some people might not notice this. I mean, there are horses that take it very personally when they lose a race. Um, hmm. And I've seen horses sulk for a couple of days when they lost. And then you help them rebuild their confidence. And when they win again, they're back on top of the world. So they do understand what they're doing out there. And, and it's not just us kind of telling them to win. It's, they have a natural instinct that they want to win as well. That's awesome. Yeah, that's true. And I, I, I see that being very similar to people. And um, even like my dog, when she don't get her treat, she's pretty sad too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, I we know... We treat them the same whether they win or lose, just so people know that. If they win, they get treated exactly the same as if they lose. Yeah, that's awesome, especially if they get uh, the same treatment either way, because you know they are participating. They are. Um, it's it's like it's like a children's baseball game. Both sides get to go eat pizza, win or lose, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I have one resource. If anyone wants to go out there and learn a little bit more about horse racing, uh, you could type in Leonard Kim, CNBC Sports, and you could see the day when ABR Racing took me out to Santa Anita to uh, go out for a race day and kind of see what the experience is like. Um, do you have any resources out there that you wanted to share with people who might be like, hmm, this racing thing sounds interesting. Where could I get some more information? I think when you hit it on the head, I do work with America's best racing and they do a phenomenal job in terms of early education of people. Um, so going to their website and scrolling through, there's a bunch of different sections. Um, I wish I knew the direct links off the top of my head, but if you play around on America's best racing, you'll get a great introductory links to understand the game a little bit. And then they have some good links to link out. Um, if people are interested in racehorse ownership, uh, because heck they watched the race on TV and said, cool, I have enough money. 
I might want to get involved. Um, we help owners get involved in racing and then also, so, you know, at raceforza.com, but then also owner view. If you Google owner view, they put out a lot of interesting material or they've started to, in terms of educating the next generation of owners. But, uh, it's awesome that America's best racing took you out Leonard because they're, they do a great job. Yeah, it was an amazing time, and I'm so uh, sad I missed being able to go this particular month. But I look forward to next time, and uh, maybe one day we'll be able to meet too, and I can meet your horses. Yeah, it'd be awesome. I'd love to meet you in person. Yeah, that would be awesome. Well, uh, do you have any final thoughts for our audience? Yeah. Uh, if you guys want to learn more, I mean, the, the greatest way is to watch. So next Saturday is the Kentucky Derby tune in and, and kind of get a taste of what it's all about. It's obviously kind of our Super Bowl for the year. So, I mean, that's the best way to get your feet wet and, and get a look at the sport. And a lot of the show will be dedicated to helping people understand the race and the handicapping the race. So you'll probably learn while you're being entertained and, and, you know, who can enjoy something more than having a party for, for just a reason to hang out with friends and watch some sports on TV. So, uh, yeah. Absolutely. That's a great way, uh, a great way to go and get your feet wet in the industry because you're watching the biggest show of the year. Uh, anyways, everyone, thank you so much for joining in for another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Michael, thank you so much for sharing all your insights about the industry. And uh, everyone, we'll see you next week. And thank you for tuning in to another, another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.